It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Despite losing its majority last year, the Tory government seems keen to portray any opposition to its preferred Brexit policies as going against the will of the people. But even within the Conservative cabinet, there is uncertainty as to what the will of the people is. Nowhere is this more keenly seen than on the customs union. Does this stasis at the top give us the time and opportunity to present a progressive case on customs? And what would that be? I'm Progress Deputy Editor Connor Pope, and I'll be discussing that with Progress Chair Alison McGovern, Director Richard Angel, and our guest, Wolverhampton North East MP Emma Reynolds. First, though, on behalf of everyone at Progress, I want to pay tribute to Tessa Jowell, who passed away this week. Tessa will be remembered as a politician whose legacy includes both Sure Start and the London Olympics in 2012. But for those who met her, she will also be remembered for her unwavering kindness, which is all too often a rare trait in politics. The sheer number of people on the centre-left who count her as a personal mentor will stand as a testament to what kind of person she was. For what she achieved, Tessa Jowell was one of the great Labour ministers. And for what she was like, she was one of the best of us. Our thoughts are with her family and friends this week. My name is Jasmine Beckett and I'm standing for the Labour Party's National Executive Committee. Along with my fellow centre-left candidates for the NEC, we are campaigning for Labour Party members to have a say on Brexit at Labour Party conference. All members want to say on the biggest issue facing our country at the moment. You can sign up to the campaign now at laboursay.eu. So first, at the beginning of May, the um, centre-left candidates for this year's Labour NEC election launched a campaign to ensure that members are given a meaningful vote on Brexit policy at this year's annual party conference. Alison, you helped launch the laboursay.eu campaign at Progress Annual Conference just a couple of weeks ago. Why do you think it's important? Well, firstly, because... Brexit is probably the defining issue of our generation and, you know, it will be really weird if we talk about the many other important things at next year's conference, schools, hospitals, you know, jobs, but we won't talk about the big issue that underpins our ability to do anything uh, on those. And the whole country is going to be talking about Brexit. I mean, even more than it was last year and last year it was quite a lot. 
if it's not for certain that it's on the agenda at our conference, I think it will be very strange. And, you know, Jeremy Corbyn has brought a lot of members into the Labour Party and that's a good thing. And I remember listening to him speak at all of those hostings when he was first elected and he definitely thought that people should be members of the Labour Party so that they can have a say. So how can we say that it's not right that people have a say on Brexit? It seems obvious to me that they should. Yeah, it seems a, a big a big role in in what first gained him his support. And, and obviously with the um, democracy review happening in the party now, clearly a big thing. But Emma, do you think that there is a, a gap between what Labour members think and where the Labour Party currently is on Brexit? Yes, there is a gap. I welcome the change in policy that we saw a couple of months ago with Labour backing our continued membership of of the customs union. Mm. That was welcome. However, without remaining in the single market, there will be problems not only for businesses and jobs within the UK, but also for the border on the island of Ireland. Mm. Because although staying in the customs union would help avoid a hard border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, it doesn't go all of the way because we still have the rules and regulations which apply to different products going across that border that would have to be the same as as the EU. So we must also, I think as a party, with regard to the border on the island of Ireland, but also with regard to protecting jobs, I think we have to move to a policy of staying within the single market as well as the customs union. But we are scheduled to leave the European Union at the end of March next year. Is September a little too late to be making any real difference to what that will look like? Surely with six months to go, we will have everything sewn up? Not necessarily. (laughs) Just to say, the reason there is this gap is that the polling shows that the vast majority of party members back single market membership. Mm -hmm. And there is also a majority for a second referendum, which in my view is much, much more controversial. But I think the leadership has to reflect on both of those things, Um, not only in September at the conference. And as Alison said, it would be strange not to have a discussion of the defining issue of our generation, but also before then and after then, the crunch point will come in October or November when Parliament will have a meaningful vote on the deal that the government brings back. And I hope that we can get into that, into the discussion. But there's a lot of detail around what a meaningful vote means and whether the motion would be amendable. I'm, I sit on the Brexit Select Committee and David Davis, the Secretary of State for exiting the EU, recently said it would be amendable. Therefore... I hope that if it isn't acceptable to Parliament, that we will send the government back to the negotiating table. Certainly the topic of the meaningful vote in Parliament is something that I want to come back to. But first, Richard, um, the polling that Emma referenced there was from the Mile End Institute uh, a few months ago, which um, polled 4,000 members of various um, political parties. And they found that 87% of Labour Party members said Britain should remain in the single market after Brexit. You travel around and, and speak to lots of Labour clubs and CLPs around the country. Is that Does that ring true? It really does ring true. And one of the things that Alison's excellent campaign for the single market uh, campaign, the Labour campaign for the single mine, market. Mine and Heidi Alexander's. Yours and Heidi Alexander's <laughs> campaign doing was we had an event. I was just, Heidi hosted something that was in uh, Nottingham and people came from all spectrums of uh, 
the Labour family. And it felt like there was real unity amongst the membership on this issue. The only real place, there's a kind of, almost you can single out the individuals that really hold a different view on that particular policy. It's, it's the thing that we will really come together on. I also think it's going to be the issue that, that this parliament and this generation of politicians and those of us that are involved in politics will be judged on. You know, Where were you on this biggest issue of the of the day in the country. And I don't think the Labour Party wants to find itself on the wrong side of history on that issue. And I think party members instinctively feel that in a very strong way. And the crucial bit of why September's not too late is because the the crucial votes, as Emma said, will come in October, November. And at that point, the parliamentary numbers mean that essentially, and the 2017 election means the decision for Brexit moved from the cabinet to the parliament. And so we need all of Labour to turn up and we need a few rebel Tories to just rebel once. And so if we can make sure we're bringing in all of our party, then we can deliver for the country as a whole. That is interesting uh, with the October-November date for the um, for the vote, given that annual conference for the Labour Party is, of course, the end of September. So it really could kind of trap into something. Crystallise something yeah. quite phenomenal. Yeah, and also we will have had TUC just beforehand. Mm. So, and I think Frances O'Grady's been absolutely brilliant she on really this issue. She really has been amazing. You know, she's like not dogmatic at all, just says that the things that the trade union movement protects, jobs and the rights of people at work can be effectively defended through the Brexit process by membership of the single market. And if someone else knows another way to do it, then they should say, because that that's the only way that they can think of. And I think that there'll be the TUC um, and, you know, they will definitely be talking about Brexit and then we'll have our conference. And then, as Richard said, we'll, we'll go into at some point in the autumn Do you think that at the TUC conference, also in September, um, Franco Grady, who's obviously General Secretary of the TUC, will get that backing from the wider trade union movement? Do Do you think broadly there is that support for that position? Well, I can only sort of speak as I find, really. And I go to a lot of meetings of trade union colleagues in both automotive manufacturing and aerospace because of local employers. And, you know, people are quite clear we need... We need a deal that will work to protect that employment. And you know, people will tell you, oh, yes, but you know, manufacturing doesn't really matter. It's only 20% of the economy, 80% of services. But I just, you know, that's not really true. If you live in a town that's dominated by manufacturing industry, all of the service sector is deeply connected to whether or not that manufacturing survives. And, you know, I hear one message from those people, which is you know, we've got to have a deal that protects those jobs. And in a way, Theresa May admitted as much in her recent Mansion House speech when she said that leaving the EU and striking the kind of deal that she was talking about would mean less market access for businesses in our country. She didn't go on to say what the implication, the obvious implication of that is, which is we would lose investment and lose jobs. But she has admitted in not so many words, admittedly, uh, not as clearly as, uh, as we can see, but she has admitted that by not following all the rules and regulations of the EU that apply to products and services, we will lose market access and then we and therefore we, yeah. we will th- lose and jobs. And we don't just lose the jobs and the investment that you were talking about. We lose the tax receipts that pay for the public services that we rely on that are currently feeling overstretched. And of course, Labour Party members feel very strongly to the core of our being that we want to be back investing in those. And so this will compound austerity if we leave the single market 
and rather than be able to be an anti-austerity force in politics. So I think it's going to come to a head and I think we've got to make sure we debate it at conference. For whatever reasons, it's been avoided at last year's conference and at Scottish Labour conference this year. But it seems odd to me, you mentioned the Democracy Review, that we have a kind of process in the party about how the party discusses the big issues of the day. If they use some kind of stitch and fist fix to not discuss the big issue of the day, I think that would be a failure. Yeah, and anyway, it won't stop people talking about it. I mean, the idea you can really stop Labour Party members talking about what they actually <laughs> want to talk about is, you know, nonsense anyway, as every General Secretary and leader of the Labour Party who's ever tried to do it has found out. Or, or so, indeed, anyone who's ever been to a Labour Party meeting. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you might as well just get it on the table, have it all out. And, you know, I feel sure that the vast numbers of Labour Party members who feel as strongly as I do about the single market, you know, will make the case and be persuasive. I think we also need to explore the issues that exercise the minds of those in our party who don't want to stay in the single market. For mm. example, those who think that it would stop us renationalising the railways. I disagree. I don't think staying within the single market would stop us doing that. And there are various... the French and Germans no, owning all our trains currently. So. It, it, it doesn't. Um, other countries, the French and Germans, but not only them, other countries as well, smaller economies within the EU have nationalised industries, not only in rail, but in energy and other sectors as well. So we have to have an honest debate about what single market membership means and what it doesn't mean. And I think we need to get to the nub of the opposition within our own party to staying in the single market. I mean, and I think, do you know, honestly, I think some of that is about the fact that single market rules exist for a reason. And what the what the culture in Britain has been for a long time is if anything goes wrong, you know, it's easier to blame European rules, isn't it? And 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 you know, in the Labour Party, we're quite good at talking about the rules we like, you know, the rules that defend, um, uh, you know, minorities or, you know, women's rights at work. You know, those are all set rules of the single market. We're quite good at talking about the ones that we like. We ever really good enough at standing up to people who said, who just wanted to blame Europe for everything? Probably we weren't. And I think there's an element of that infecting our politics. So people haven't championed the single market enough because there was such a culture of saying, oh, well, you know, these rules that stop us doing what we want. Well, hang on a minute. In the Labour Party, don't we agree that we should have a rules-based economy? That's like what we're all about, right? So even when it comes to things like you know, state aid and that sort of thing, like, sure, we can debate what the rules should be, but we can't surely think it's wrong that there are rules. And surely we're seeing with the attempt to have a single digital market and the stuff on GDPR. Exactly. You know, that's exactly the, the only, sort of thing. Yeah. The only governmental organisation that's basically able to regulate Facebook, Google, etc. is the EU. It does a combined thing of empower consumers and protect consumer rights, essentially bash the big companies into doing what nobody else can kind of convince them to do. This is the the point of us kind of pooling our sovereignty in an economic sense through the single market by getting companies to behave better and consumers to be more empowered. We do need to take a short break now, um, but we'll be talking a lot more about the customers union as well as all of that next. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Labour Say campaign also received a welcome boost from the New European this week. Speaking on the newspaper's podcast, this is what Richard Porritt and Steve Anglesey said about the campaign following Alistair Campbell's speech to Progress Conference at the beginning of May. But importantly, click on laboursay.eu, which is a progress campaign, which, which Alistair mentions there, which is basically making sure that Labour delegates get the chance to um, discuss Brexit in conference this year, because last year, Momentum pulled a few dirty tricks, should we say, and made sure it wasn't. Because I think the true feeling from a lot of the Labour Party um, has to come out of conference, and that's where decisions are made for Labour, of course. Labour recently clarified its customs union position. Uh, Emma, you made reference to this a little earlier on in the show, but first I'd like to go kind of back to the beginning a bit and ask, what is a customs union? So the EU has a customs union between its member states, which essentially means that at the border between different EU countries, goods that cross that border are not checked for rules of origin. For example, if we import a car part from China and it crosses the border at um, Dover, Calais, Mm. the origin of that good will not be checked um, by the French. And so there isn't a time delay at the border, um, nor are other checks made uh, at the border, because there is not only legislation, but trust between uh, member states about the origin of their goods and the quality of their goods. And that's what facilitates the frictionless trade that people talk about within the European Union. And essentially, if we leave the customs union, the reason that manufacturers such as the car industry are concerned is that they rely on this sort of instant access between different member states. Uh, And as Jeremy Corbyn said in his speech when he essentially changed or uh, bolstered the party's policy (laughs) on this, that in order to make a mini in Oxford, the car parts and the different uh, parts of the manufacturing process that take place before you put all the pieces together, carry those parts of the mini across uh, the border with the EU several times uh, before the final product is made in Oxford. So this bolstering of the Labour position has, has 
as you called it. What did that entail, really? What was it before and what is it now? We had committed to staying, or, or advocating to stay, should I say, more accurately, in the customs union during the transition period. Right. Which and we expect to finish in a couple of years. At the end of 2020. So, so far the plan is that the UK leaves the European Union in March 2019, and there is then a transition period which will last until the end of 2020. Uh, it could be extended, but that is a matter <laughs> for debate. And it remains to be seen whether all the different agreements that are needed to be negotiated and finally agreed during that time can be done within that time. But the customs union part is so important, not only for the manufacturing industry and the business secretary, Greg Clark, recently said that if we uh, don't have frictionless trade at the border with the EU, then we could lose thousands of jobs, particularly in the car industry. But it's also essential with regard to the whole discussion and debate around avoiding a hard border. That's a physical border where there are checks on goods between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And a lot of this discussion seemed to kind of take place on whether it was the customs union or a customs union. Is there really a difference there? There isn't much of a difference, but I, I think that those who claim that there is a difference between the definite and indefinite article, the the or an a, are possibly getting at something that we have asked for, which I think is reasonable. Keir Starmer, when he set out this policy, said very clearly that we would need to still have a say in the customs uh, and the tariffs. Oh, I should have mentioned tariffs earlier. Tariffs <laughs> are part of this also, of course. It's so obvious that I forgot to mention them. But we have a common external tariff as the European Union with member states, uh, with other countries around the world. And this is one of the uh, problems of leaving the customs union in that we, of course, would have the freedom to strike our own trade deals, but we wouldn't have the same external tariffs on different goods with other uh, countries around the world. And that's where the the and the a, I think, are slightly different, perhaps. <laughs> there isn't really much of a difference. But Keir is right that we need to have a seat at the table if we are to stay within the European Customs Union. We can't just stay in the Customs Union, a bit like Turkey, which is a weird anomaly, because Turkey is within the Customs Union precisely because Turkey back then was on the path to European Union membership. Mm. And that's why they're in this weird situation of being within the customs union, but having no say at all on the trade deals that are negotiated between the EU and the rest of the world that obviously have an impact on Turkey because they charge the same external tariff on different goods coming in from beyond the European Union. Alison, can I come to you? What kind of moves have we seen so far in Parliament to try and maintain customs union membership? So we're all kind of standing by our beds waiting for a customs and trade bill where we anticipate the government to try and set out arrangements for life outside the customs union. And because it would be in scope, you know, you can imagine that people from all different parties who think we should remain a part of the customs union would be amending that. We have also had, you know, a few, like backbench devices, essentially, to demonstrate that there is something of a cross-party agreement on being part of the customs union and the House of Lords as well, who are having their say on the withdrawal bill, have discussed this very issue. In the end, 
there's, I think there's probably a House of Commons majority for our membership of the single market and the customs union. Can I just chip in really quickly? Because you said a, a very technical bit of parliamentary oh. in terms <laughs> of not everyone might know. This thing about being in the scope of the bill. Oh, yes. So this is a decision by the Speaker's office, is it? Or... Or, uh, or sit- public bill office, I public think. Public bill office. So, so another bit of technical <laughs> parliamentary <laughs> jargon. The public bill office. So you can't just amend a bill about anything. So you can't have the trees and assorted shrubbery bill 2018 and stick an amendment in there that's about, about building a bridge across the Thames. Exactly. The thing that you're trying to amend has to be relevant to the bill. So that's what I mean by it would be in scope. Um, Is that to avoid? Pork barrel politics. There's a term that I love. <laughs> A-level uh, politics and I've never used since. <laughs> there you go. It, this pro- podcast has brought many opportunities. Not this, that one. Um, you see that in the States a lot, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, amend a yeah. bill on healthcare and it, suddenly it's legislating for... Exactly. Totally different... I mean, another way of describing it would be like, you know, you get Christmas tree bills where it's just like very random central thing that people just hang like lots of baubles on lots of baubles on so we've been kind of expecting this possible bill and possible uh amendments to it for some time unfortunately i think it's pretty clear to the prime minister that this may well happen and what do you know the bill has not been brought forward well the reason is that she's her approach is to kick the can down the road Mm. let's be clear about it to obfuscate for as long as possible, to air the differences in the Brexit uh, committee, uh, which is essentially made up of some key cabinet ministers. And there was a meeting recently of that committee. Um, And she just simply wants to try and avoid divisions within her own party and any sort of rebellion either amongst her backbench MPs or indeed amongst the front bench and and the cabinet because the cabinet's but, still pretty divided on this aren't they? absolutely divided and we've seen a recent intervention by Boris Johnson saying that Theresa May's preferred option which is a customs partnership we'll come back to the definition of that in a minute is crazy and one of her backbench MPs who I am sick of talking about I have to admit as much as I have to sit in the same committee with him, but Jacob Rees-Mogg calls it cretinous. So you've seen some interesting words being banded about for the Prime Minister's apparently preferred option. But what I think they are trying to do, apart from kicking the can down the road, is to push the vote on the customs union within the trade bill as near as possible to the meaningful vote on the overall deal with the EU so that they can get maximum leverage with their MPs by saying, if you vote this down, i.e. if you vote in favour of the Labour Party's position on the customs union, and if you vote against the negotiated deal that we bring back from Brussels, you'll end up with a Corbyn government and you cannot betray the people of this country and you cannot betray the Conservative Party by doing this. So this is what I think they're doing. They're trying to take it as late as possible, not only because she doesn't like to be defeated in the Houses of Parliament and it would kind of scupper and ruin her negotiating strategy, but also because they want to try and put maximum pressure on their backbenchers. But, you know, I just don't understand this because if you as a Prime Minister have got a position you've got a choice. You could either go with something that will get through the House of Commons, or you could go with something that will cause a fairly sizable rebellion amongst your backbenchers. But in the end, once it's done, it's done. To me, the easier path is quite obvious, but I don't understand why she feels as though she has to have a position that all of the Tory party can vote for. 
Well, I think you have to go back to the ill-fated general election. She was much weakened by that election because she went into the election saying, strengthen my hand, vote for me, and I will (laughs) deliver a Brexit for Britain that will be successful and all the other rubbish she said. Strong and stable leadership. And in the end, what she did is she weakened her position so much so that the likes of Boris Johnson and Michael Gove and Jacob Rees-Mogg have been strengthened. And she is failing to show leadership just because she had a poor result last year, by the way, doesn't mean she couldn't exercise that leadership. In a way, I think that she should say to herself, right, I might only have a year or two left in this job. And the rumours in Parliament are that once we get past exit day, that she won't be Prime Minister for very much longer. So in that time, why doesn't she just exercise some leadership? Exactly. And as Alison, you have said, face them down and get the support of Parliament in, in so doing. And would she get like 560 MPs voting for I mean, it'd be overwhelming, the majority, it's, because the, she'd have this is exactly, the front bench, most of the Tories, yeah. all of Labour, all the SNP, all of the little parties, and just exactly. on the other side would be and 60 it, Jacob Rees-Mogg's. Exactly. And in the end, this is about what what makes sense for our economy and our country. And that hasn't changed. You know, we lost a referendum. Our economy did not fundamentally change. And what I think that we're in the business of, Emma and I and others, is trying to say, okay, if we have to Brexit, let's do the least worse version of that for our economy. And that's true for Theresa May as well. So I think it's not like Jacob Rees-Mogg has got a great idea about how to make all of this work. I mean, he's made some frankly utterly disparaging remarks about some of the things that Emma was just saying uh, about the um, border on the island of Ireland. It's not like they know how to make this work. You know, so just accept that there's a majority in the House of Commons for one thing and not another thing. And therefore, it's sort of inevitable that the vote will go that way anyway. So you might as well get out ahead. Face these people down. I think uh, coming back to Richard's point on... He said that 560 MPs could vote for um, customs union membership and Theresa May would just have 60 rebels in her party. And um, I think recently there's been a few, uh, you know, shots fired across the bows by the Daily Mail towards Theresa May to give her a kind of warning shots around this. And essentially the 60 MPs point is really important because I think it only takes 48 MPs to trigger Tory leadership contest. And, and so the danger I, is the vote creates a 61st MP and Boris Johnson leaves the government and there's a mm. candidate for leader and enough people but, to trigger the, the vote. The, the Mail and certainly uh, Quentin Letts last week were um, were saying that if she were to do this, they would get that 48 MPs in a matter of hours um, triggering a leadership contest, which seems so utterly, utterly stupid to... to, to so we're to, being held to ransom by... 60 ideologues and the conservative mp anna subri who's a very brave voice in all of this <laughs> who i admire immensely is absolutely right that in a way the government and theresa may has been captured by these people that she shouldn't let them run circles around her but the threat is there mm. and i think it is real however don't forget that the conservative party have a very different way of selecting their leaders there could well be a leadership challenge by a letter of no confidence in in the leader and i think that is a very real 
possibility. But what the Conservative Party do is they only put two MPs to their membership. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see which two they would put. I mean, I think this is a question of when, not if. And I think what Theresa May is trying to avoid is this happening before exit day so that she can actually say, I delivered on what I said I would, I delivered Brexit. And then I think there will be a leadership challenge pretty soon afterwards. But so, these are like bullies in the playground, aren't they? You just yeah, have to face yeah, them down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Absolutely. That's the, the, the problem is once you look weak with these people, you are weak with these people. Mm. And the only thing they respect is strength. Because the, Jacob Rees-Mogg thinks what he thinks, regardless of any evidence, any, you know, change in circumstances. It is a zealot-like belief in Britain as a imperial nation. And it's for the birds. But you should have that's going to change his mind. So no. delaying it with him only means he can recruit more people to his 60 group rather than allows you to allows you to beat him any better. It, you're right. She's absolutely craven. Who are you about to demand the sacking of there, Emma? So, Boris Johnson. So, <laughs> she showed weakness from the start. She appointed him as Foreign Secretary, which I don't think was necessary. Everybody said at the time, oh, what a clever move. But when <laughs> he then started to upset the French and the Italians and others who we have to negotiate this thing with, she should have sacked him then. And then he goes on and rubbishes her policy. But now he feels like he's totally untouchable. He feels like he can say anything he wants. And I think the flip side of this pressure she feels that you talked about with regard to the Daily Mail saying she would have a leadership uh, challenge is the problem for the Brexiteers is that the thing that they most desperately want to do is leave in March next year. Now, if they scupper her plans, then they're going to delay this whole thing, surely, unless they get their candidate in post, which is a highly risky scenario for them because it might not happen. So there are also pressures on them to to kind of fall into line. So we mustn't forget that. These people who want to leave immediately in March 2019 kind of feel like the people at a party who suddenly go, actually, I hate all of you. I'm leaving. <laughs> and they go, okay, but there's a blizzard outside and it'll take an hour for a taxi to get here. Yeah, I don't care. I'll just I'll, go and stand I outside. I walk in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let them walk in the snow. <laughs> but does this, does this, um, this kind of hostage situation, this bring about a stasis and to put a kind of positive spin on it, is this an opportunity for progressives to really push our... So there's a massive opportunity here. I mean, look, we sort of jokingly always describe this podcast as, uh, you know, the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer in the modern world. But it really does on this <laughs> now. Okay, so, like, like, basically, yeah, I was getting accused of trying to refight, refight the uh, referendum debate. But... You know, what Richard was saying before about who is it that's able to take on like Facebook and Google? Well, it's partnerships of countries, not single countries on their own. And that's a fundamentally progressive idea. Who is it that's able to, you know, as Alistair Campbell said to us at Progress Conference, be tough on Brexit, tough on the causes of Brexit? You know, it's progressives who see that you can't have a country where people just get left out and left behind. And if, if you do that, you'll end up with these divisive moments. Progressives who understand that. And I think there's a moment where we have to say, look, you know, I still believe that Britain will be better off in the European Union. I think there's some things that are necessary now. Campaigning for our single market and customs union membership is the least worst option, but also dealing with the things that led to the Brexit vote in the first place, whether that's, you know, the place of towns in our country as opposed to cities or feeling of disaffection that people haven't got the education 
um, that they might want for their kids. You know, those are progressive things and it's our job to step forward and show a bit of leadership. And wh- where does all of this fit in with the European economic area? How can we f- fit that in with, in, in terms of the, this process of pushing for the customs union, do we also need to be? So we're in the European economic area and um, that's a, you know, a separate agreement. Mm. The EEA agreement broadly covers what we mean by the single market. So one option for the UK is membership of um, EEA and the EFTA court, the European Free Trade Agreement court. People tend to refer to this as the Norway model, but there's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a misnomer in that because Britain would be a much bigger partner in, in that. So it's hard to see that it would function in exactly the same mm. way, to be honest. But Heidi except- Alexander wrote for us about we'd be the kind of first, first stakeholder in that relationship with such a big player that they would come to us as the kind of first people they check stuff with, basically. I think that's right. Also, people tend to think of these options as very, very fixed. And and they're not. And Emma was mentioning Keir's point about making sure that we had influence. And that's really, really important. You know, the loss of our membership of the European Union is a loss of influence. And so we need to mitigate against it's that. It's a loss of control. Yeah. It, ironically, yeah. <laughs> but these things rarely go to a vote, do they, in some of these, the, the meeting of ministers, for example. So you wouldn't necessarily need to be a voting member around the table as long as you're around the table and able to speak. Is that I right? think the key point is, at which point do you have influence? For example, the Norwegian government, I agree with Alison, we could conclude a deal that was slightly different. But at the moment, the Norwegians have a say right at the start of the technical consideration of the European Commission's proposal for European law. They they have the right, right of initiative. They're essentially like the civil service. Then that proposed legislation goes to the European Parliament and goes to the European Council of Ministers, made up of ministers from member state governments. It's my understanding that the Norwegians don't have any influence at those stages of the um, passage of a law where they can be quite substantially changed but they do have a say right at the very beginning. Now, I don't think that would be really enough for us. And we'd have to look at whether we could have a seat, perhaps as an observer um, at the Council of Ministers, whether we could have observers at the European Parliament. I don't know. But I think if we had a sensible government that wanted a pragmatic Brexit, these things could be looked at. By the way, there is a slight little legal tease in all of this, which is that I still think legally we would have to apply to become a member of the EEA because when we joined the EU, that transcended our membership of the EEA. And the lawyers that I've spoken to, although admittedly there are other legal opinions too from other lawyers, <laughs> are that the, that you would have to apply to be a member rather than just resume membership, as I understand it. Heidi's slightly more optimistic than has spoken to the other lawyers, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? We've got I to mean, decide well, to leave either, that either, as well. Either way, the, back, the backstory to all of this and getting Emma's, like, right points of influence and um, that, you know, this is why diplomacy matters. Indeed. And to come back Thank to... God we've got Boris Johnson doing oh, it, eh? Great. <laughs> so, you know, I do not like personal attacks in politics. I don't tend to kind of spend all my time questioning people on the basis of their characteristics. But, but, it, do- <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but it does seem to be a thing that he does a lot, right? When things aren't going so well, he turns up and says outrageous things. 
British diplomacy has not been well served by that approach. No, he's the worst foreign secretary I can remember. So the likelihood of us getting some of these more specific things correct, which will make this either work or not work. I don't think that Brexit is going to be good for our country. But if we have to Brexit, getting all of these detailed things right actually really matters. So again, why has Theresa May gotten on the job? I would just be thinking, you know, this person is really hindering what I'm trying to achieve here. What you need is some, you know, some proficient diplomatic type who could be going around Europe saying, okay, this is what we want to get out of Brexit. This is how our relationship is going to be, you know, in the future. And these are the other things that, you know, we've got Syria going on at the moment. We've still got a pretty bad refugee crisis on the continent of Europe. We could be talking to our partners and friends about those things regardless to try and build up, you know, some confidence and trust in us as a partner. But instead of that, we've got Boris Johnson, you know, telling jokes in Latin. Fantastic. I think that's probably a good place to leave it because that's all we have time for. But Emma Reynolds, thank you for coming and joining us to talk about that today. And next we will have the political pub quiz question. Every week, Connor asks a political pub quiz question, which is then answered on Friday's show. Last week, Lewisham East MP Heidi Alexander announced that she would be standing down from Parliament. No, don't go, (laughs) Heidi. (laughs) But which of her predecessors in the seat was once accused of building the Tories out of London by supporting council flat building projects? Sounds great. I know So, uh, if you're not Richard Angel, send your answers to office at progressonline.org.uk or leave it in an iTunes comment for the chance to win a Progress mug. We need to wrap up now, but we've been delighted to have Emma Reynolds joining us today. Do send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email, or best of all, as an iTunes review, and we will respond to them on Friday's show with the best iTunes comment winning a prize. And don't forget to subscribe and rate. You've been listening to the Progressive Britain podcast. The music was When in the West by Blue Dot Sessions, licensed under Creative Commons. And many thanks to the brilliant Caroline Crampton who produced this podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.